Hi, I'm Avery Thatcher, a former ICU nurse, and this is not your standard stress management podcast where we just focus on those band-aid solutions like the benefits of meditation, mindfulness, and self-care. You already know that you need some kind of recovery strategy to deal with your stressful life, but what you may not know are all of the sneaky ways that society, our upbringing, and our high-achieving nature, and so many other factors contribute to our risk of burnout. That, my friend, is what we talk about here on this podcast, because you can't do something about a situation that you're not aware of, right? So if you're ready to get out of the pattern of burning out, feeling better, only to burn out again, it's time for us to shed the light on the truth about burnout. I am really looking forward to this conversation for so many reasons. So welcome, Amaranthia and Claire. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I really love bringing on people from different experiences. And it's really interesting because me with my own chronic illness and disability, it's nice to talk to somebody else that maybe has a connection to that as well. And burnout, I feel, is really woven into that experience. So the two of you are here. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your story and what brought you together to really start the business that you're in? Started from my desire to really um, break through the patterns that came about from intergenerational legacy of abuse because I was born into domestic violence. And growing up in Barbados, I um, really had to fight through that. As I journeyed from com- going from Barbados to um, finding myself as a young woman, I had to deal with the pain and suffering from the domestic violence. And I always would write to help me to overcome these problems or to get through them, not overcome them. And so by the time I left the island and I had dropped out of school because of the violence and I was in my early 20s, I um, overstayed a visa in the United States. and. It was during that time that I realized that, you know, it was the wrong decision to overstay that visa. Um, I found Buddhism and they told me that I needed to go fix this, go back and fix this problem. And so I had people who advocated for me. And at that time I found, um, I went back to Barbados and I got my visa. I got my student visa and I came back. And one of the people who advocated for me was the, the person who was in charge of the Art Students League of New York. And I had found community there and before. And when she discovered my story, she said, you go and fix this and I'll help you with your, and now you can come back and you can be a full-time student, student here, get your scholarship and get your, be on your way to get your degree because they, they weren't an accredited institution. So I went back, did all that. And I got back, came back with my, um, student visa. And I started at the Art Students League with the goal of going, finding a college to get in for my degree. Mm-hmm. And so I took classes. I modeled there as a new model. But it was then that I began to feel like, wow, all the work that I had done to get to this point was, I, f- I began to feel the beginnings of burnout, but I still had a long way to go. Mm-hmm. So I entered, I, then I got through there and I entered 
college and I entered college at California University of Pennsylvania and did my writing and my art and, and an alum of Mount Holyoke saw me there and she recommended that I go to Mount Holyoke and I applied and I got in and that was where I started to develop um, this idea of as a Francis Perkins as a Francis Perkins scholar I developed this idea of writing to heal mm-hmm. through my mm-hmm. through my work at college then mm-hmm. I graduated Amarantia was born and I kind of raised her with that belief and so when she started to have problems in her life she used art and to help her to to get through it um yeah I think uh I've always used art to to cope and my health issues. I have, we both are invisibly disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of uh, my mom's experience with domestic violence, she has um, complex PTSD mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. panic disorder. And I have also been diagnosed with the same thing. Because Only of, diagnosed in a couple of years. Yeah, I think, oh. um, yeah, last year actually, ah. but um, because of bullying, bullying, um, it's usually it's the only black girl, African American girl in in school or in my classes, and being ostracized and isolated because of it. And so there was a lot of trauma there around racial trauma. Around um, we lived in Japan mm-hmm. in the two thousands as expats. So when I came back, there was that culture shock as well. So I wasn't presenting as like an American kid. I was presenting as this African American girl with. Mm-hmm you know, maybe slight, slight, um, influence from yeah. my mom's accent and then from Barbados, yeah. um, have this influence of Japanese culture. So it was like a whole mix of things, um, and being Buddhist as well. So there was a lot of trauma I had to work yeah. through. And so art was my saving grace because of my mom again, passing that to me. Yeah. So that was my friend and my coping mechanism. And ultimately I had to become homeschooled. Yeah. online because the bullying got so bad and there was basically an incident where i had i had no choice but to um we reported it to the superintendent and because of an anti-bullying project i was doing around my art that was supposed to be implemented into the school system and they didn't like that I was highlighting what was going on with the the bullying at the school they were trying to hide it so we reported it, it was a very bad situation they paid us so then i can go and get a computer and be homeschooled online and from 14, 13, 14 to now I'm 23, I had to fight to deal with these chronic health issues popping up, uh, my risk of developing Addison's disease. I had to constantly, I still have to get tested once a year for that, um, to see what, what's going on. And I also had to fight to get my diagnosis of complex PT, PTSD, panic disorder, agoraphobia, because all of that was triggered by the bullying. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was 20, 20, uh, until 2022 when I t- turned like 22 that I finally found a therapist that wasn't discriminatory and listened to my story. So, you know, it's. It brought us to this whole thing of, um, self advocating, self advocating and, and fighting through this feeling of, you know, that you, you, you're very tired, you're exhausted emotionally you can't go another step but you know you have to that's when art and writing save us it just is something that you can dive into yeah and it it just is so healing and and so therapeutic yeah so i would say all of that is what led to sister creatives rising 
Thank you so much to both of you for your vulnerability in there and for really sharing openly about your experiences. Because a lot of what you shared, I feel some people can relate to on a different level. But especially for me, I've never experienced racial trauma. I will never experience racial trauma. So to somebody that's in my situation that really cannot understand that, what would you want them to know? I think um major thing that I experienced was people denying mm-hmm. that what I was going mm-hmm. through. And especially in the um late 2000s, having teachers tell me racism doesn't exist at our school and I'm being called the N-word. So oh my gosh. In, in, in our neighborhood and in our um dealing with microaggressions, being told my history doesn't matter, things like that. And so when I would report it, people would be like, well, there's nothing we can do. Maybe they don't know what that means. I'm like, well, why are they saying it to me and no one else then? Right. So it's people understanding, um, especially if you're a person of color, like understanding if you're not a person of color is understanding that racial trauma is a real thing. It's something that many of us have to deal with every single day. And it's sometimes it's not obvious. Mm-hmm. There's passive aggressiveness. There's microaggressions. What do you call it? Like dog whistle terms. Sometimes you, that we would know, but other people wouldn't know because mm-hmm. again, they're, they're not a person of color. And that when someone comes to you and says, Hey, I'm dealing with this to, to just sit down and, and listen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's best not to say anything. It's just to listen and be like, what can I do? Mm-hmm what is the best way for me to help you in this situation? How can I, how can I help you feel supported mm-hmm. instead of, cause it's not always that advice we're looking for. It's like mm-hmm. wanting to know, like, can we trust you? Mm-hmm. Have, because you want to experience it. It's not really understanding. It's having empathy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if, if that person needs help finding resources, needs help with finding someone to, you know, if it's like a really bad situation to report what's going on, whatever to help them on that, you know, that journey. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that for most of my childhood until I found my, my doctor, um, uh, Dr. Amanda, who's a naturopath and a medical doctor. And she self-advocated for me, got me my doctors, my endocrinologist and stuff. And um, so my endocrinologist as well, she advocated for me. And then my therapist years later that I found back in 2022. So there's like three main people who've really been there, but that's, you know, over the course of like 15 years of living, mm-hmm. living in, in New Hampshire, it's been mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only like three people exactly outside of my mom, you know? Yeah. For me coming from Barbados and living in America, once I became, became a, a student, lived on campus for, for the whole time um, at Mount Holyoke. So I was really in a cocoon. Mm-hmm. I really enter American society until I graduated and I got married to my husband and had Amaranthia. And then my husband had to go to work and it was only Amaranthia and I, at, and, mm-hmm. and I were at home. And it was then that I felt the shock of it. Um, because I lived in the suburb and it was just me and this baby during the day and there was no one to really talk to. And when we would try to go on the playground, no one would want to talk to us or play with us. They would tell us, oh, you can join the Y. We joined the Y. No one, everyone would stay away from us. And this was in Massachusetts. And so 
I was going through a lot. I was dealing with postpartum depression and my burnout was really getting to hitting that peak. You know, I was feeling all the trauma from everything I'd gone through from childhood, going through college for four years of pregnancy at 36 years old, having this baby. She was crying all the time. And, you know, my husband was gone working and I didn't have a lot of support from family and stuff. And so just the extra thing of having to deal with people who were not really seeing me as someone that they could interact with. Seeing you as a person. Mm-hmm. Seeing me as a person, me and my daughter, my baby, you know, that she was really beautiful. You know, she was my treasure. And, you know, it just was really, really shocking to feel that. Because when I grew up in Barbados, I saw people who looked like me mostly. There was mm-hmm. problems there, but the majority of people were looking like me. So I I felt that I saw people in positions and women in positions that told me I could get to these places, but, you know, I could become a person, uh, the person I wanted to be. But yeah. I learned, quickly learned that that was something that there was a battle because of your skin color here in the U.S. So, mm. I think something that you really highlighted here is burnout and the experience of burnout can really feel isolating on its own. Mm. Living with an invisible disability can feel isolating on its own, but the ability to find community can be very privileged. Mm -hmm. So it just adds a whole nother layer that you had to navigate through. And Mm -hmm. is, was that maybe one of the driving factors that helped you create Sista Creatives? Yeah. Yeah. It was still ongoing, but, um, everything had paused because, um, I had, as I told you, it was on the port of postpartum depression. I didn't even know. I didn't even know that Mm -hmm. I was getting a thyroid problem. So I was still writing and everything. But there, I had, was beginning to have these health issues. So, but at that time, it wasn't Sister Creatives. It was just this general idea that we wanted to do something with art. And I raised her always. She was always doing art, but it really didn't take off till, um, when she was here in New Hampshire and she was bullied and she had, we realized that she had, she was drawing all the time and I had collected them. She had her first art show. And then I realized then she got um, sidelined yeah. and we had to homeschool her. Yeah. I realized that we could use her art to get out her message. So that's when it started. We took her art, art the community, and went to library and talked about, it was, what was it called? Um, um, yeah. I'm so proud of who I am. It was called, I'm, I'm proud of who I am. So, yeah. um, so the original was called, I know who I am. And that's what was supposed to be part of the curriculum and um, of this anti-bullying campaign and, and toward different schools. And when that got rejected again, because of what happened with addressing race, addressing mm-hmm. ableism, sexism in the school. Um, and we decided to turn it into, I'm proud of who I am after it became um, homeschooled online. And that was um, with the help of an artist at um, the school I went to called Kimball Jenkins and where I got like a full scholarship at 11. So I was in all these adult classes, human figure classes. And um, 
still kind of isolated because I was I was the youngest and I was only um, mm-hmm. a black girl in, in the room and everyone else was like 70, 80 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really strange sometimes, but I um, met an artist there and she helped us pull it together and we did this tour and that, that was a, a way of kind of finding community. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still, that was our attempt, but it was still difficult because yeah. there's like no diversity here. Yeah. Um, I feel like things are finally opening happened, up, yeah. but again, we've been here 15 years in New Hampshire and it wasn't until like maybe two years ago, things started changing a little bit. Um, so but we just found out this year that, yeah, like only like changing. a couple months ago, we realized like, oh, there's things opening up for us, but there was no community, um, for, for, um, uh, people like us as mm-hmm. activists, as people mm-hmm. with invisible disabilities, as black women. So it's like, um, even on being homeschooled online, a lot of the kids were dis- disabled. They were bullied. Um, most of the kids, that's why they were on there. So I couldn't really find anyone that would want to interact because everyone had social anxiety. Yes. So with the, the motivation for, um, doing these art shows again was like, how can I find the community? And when the pan- pandemic hit, we were like, okay, we, Zoom. we need to right through use Zoom, use yeah. these virtual platforms to be able to get to the people. Because I'm tired of not of being isolated because yeah. of our health issues as well. We've been, we're indoors, you know, we're in our home. Um, and it's still that case, you know, three years later since the pandemic, because we have immunocompromised. Yeah. We've, we've self-isolate. So everything, doing all, everything virtually and being able to access this community of women, um, femme expressing creatives to be able to help them tell their story through our shows and, it's really helped us mentally, but it took us so long again, 15 years. And yeah, that's and what's really frustrating about it. But at least we're here now, you know, but yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, we do it right here from our couch with the this virtual space. And we have met people from Australia, Indonesia, California, London, London. We, we have a community through this space. And it's so important for us to keep up this space because as the COVID protections go away, there's still people like us at home. And so we realize we still have something that we of value, even though we are pretty much at home because of our health issues, we could still do it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's working. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about like what you've got going on in that world right now. What you said that you were looking for a call for. New artists or expand yeah. on that for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To give background, um, so under Sister Creatives Rising, it's not um a business quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's still in development. So it's right now it's like a project. Our first show before we developed Sister Creatives Rising, that title, we had our first virtual art show called Art in Mind in twenty twenty one. And that was called that first iteration was called Reflections of Women, Femmes and our mental health during COVID-19. And so that was very experimental project, mm-hmm. totally grassroots. And our concept was to have these, I think we had a total of 12 artists and some entrepreneurs in there, some activists telling their stories through film. And so they were, we had them uh, submit like three to five minute videos and they were telling their stories about the pandemic, how the pandemic affected their mental health how um, invisible disabilities or physical disabilities had led to crises in their lives and the intersections of race and gender and 
how that affected their mental health. And so they were talking about how their art helped them heal and through that or was part of their healing process. And so we pulled that all together into this like 45 minute documentary and showcased some entrepreneurs doing stuff for the community, like around disability, around writing and um, graphic design and things like that. And we also had therapists speaking about um, uh, free resources and how women were affected by the pandemic um, the most, especially a woman of color. And um, we had the disability activists. And now we're doing it again this year Mm. because I was hospitalized with cancer last year and couldn't do it. So we're doing it this year again as a way of my way of healing and, exactly. and recovering. And we're focusing the large, the umbrella is marginalized women and, and femme expressing creatives. Mm-hmm. So that is the, um, under that umbrella, these black marginalized women, because of what happened with my story this year. And that is going to be the open call in June. Yeah. So it's kind of doing that show again where these fil- films are going to be compiled into documentaries where a 20 minute documentary with five black them expressing creatives telling their stories of crisis and how uh, kind of like what we've been talking about um crises that um because of intergenerational trauma because of race because of um misogyny and how they use art to cope and so it's was supposed to be about healing and motivating people be like hey you're not alone mm-hmm. and it relates to again my mom's experience of her cancer and, and last year and, and feeling isolated because she couldn't get she didn't feel represented new hampshire's less than two percent black so she didn't feel safe going to the hospital because of all these disparities happening with black women receiving mm-hmm. help so she felt like am i going to be listened to as an immigrant as and being invisibly disabled just di- just got diagnosed with complex ptsd and panic disorder all these things so we're pulling a, another documentary together telling that story being a, a cancer survivor and um her experience of how i got through it how how you got through it and how you delayed treatment or because of you had these symptoms and you didn't know it was cancer yeah. and that was because of accessibility issues because you were an immigrant you know black mm-hmm. woman dealing with just got diagnosed with complex PTSD, panic disorder, agoraphobia. And you were like, I, I don't know if I trust the system because there's so many reports of black women mm-hmm. being harmed mm-hmm. by the medical system or dying or, you know, being mistreated in some way. So you were very fortunate that mm-hmm. somehow in this, it worked out, it worked out and you were able to find a lot of, a diverse group of doctors that, that treated you. Mm-hmm. But that's very, very rare, especially where we live, where it's less than 2% Black in, in New Hampshire. So we are pulling together that to advocate and tell, educate people about m- medical racism and uh, misogyny against Black women in the system and how mm. to self-advocate Yes, um, exactly. and raise awareness. So we have that and we're doing a dance project with um, one of our sponsors, Dancing Queerly. And we have a composer, um, Mel, who is from Australia, who's going to be helping us Pull the, music. pull the music together for all of these films. Yeah. It's so the, the, the whole project is called I, uh, art in mind. I, I know who I am, which connects back to my anti-bullying project when I was younger. So we were kind of pulling it together with this, this kind of last iteration of that particular art, um, yeah. anti-bullying project. So again, it's June 1st. It's the open call, um, with our 
sponsor that we raise funds for, Brain Arts Org in Boston, who helps marginalized artists in the Boston community. They're helping us pay each artist a, a total of 200 each. So it's really exciting. This is the first time we've been able to compensate people. Mm-hmm. Um, Dancing Queerly is helping us compensate people, um, entrepreneurs and, and um, that we've scouted. So it's very, it's super exciting that we're able to do this after what has happened last year with my mom's cancer and stuff. And the, the show, show itself in October. Yeah. The show itself is October 5th and there will be tickets, free tickets and a way to donate to help brain arts and come to this virtual show, which is going to be about two hours yeah. in October. But more information will be about that, like in August, late August or so. But that's pretty much our goal is, you know, highlight these stories, be able to compensate and go against this idea of like artists not being compensated. So we're just very excited. Yes, you can hear it in your voices, just yeah. how the culmination of all of this hard work is creating this beautiful movement. So exactly. absolutely, we'll link to everything. Um, so anybody that's interested in learning more about you and your movement and how they can help support and how they can participate in that event in October, I know that I will be there. And the <laughs> the one last thing I wanted to talk about was that I and Maranti had told me about you, um, how you had changed your name. Mm, yes. And I I wanted to tell you that I had decided to use my middle name, Claire, which means bright. And I realized the importance of using that middle name to the name that my name I grew up with was Cheryl. And everybody knew me by that name. But that is where all my trauma was. And so I realized, wow, Claire, my middle name was never touched. I started to realize that I had to really heal deeply from all this stuff. I started to use my name, middle name. And I realized something when I was going through the hospital, my middle name was not touched. The only name on my, on all my paperwork was Cheryl, Mm. but it remained free and Claire is not touched by any of that. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. So pretty much um, use it as my artist name and my name in the world now because it feels like it gives me new life and and that brightness and optimism of the name is really amazing. And I thought it related to what Amarantia told me about you and your name. I know you can't see me right now, but I am covered in goosebumps and I have tears in my eyes that just connected so much to my heart, Claire. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's very important because it's just like you've you can have a new life and a new beginning and you can create it in ways that you wouldn't even know just by having that middle name that so many of us don't even talk about our middle names. Absolutely. Yes, that's true. Oh my goodness. Like what a beautiful way to wrap things up. Just like really talk about the importance of a name and like what that can truly mean for you. How healing it can be. Oh, so yeah. Now like, oh, just covered in all of the goosebumps. So good. So uh, just before we wrap things up, of course, we're going to put in all of your links and things. So two things. First, how can people learn more about you? What is your social media, your website? Like, How can people learn more about you and the movement? Yeah. Um. So right now we have an Instagram and, and LinkedIn and our website, which is all Sista Creatives Rising. And our website is sistacreativesrising.com. And so, yeah, if they follow our website, our Instagram, our LinkedIn, especially our, our Instagram, you'll learn more about what we're doing. And um, we have a newsletter. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. they can sign up on the website. 
Yes. So we haven't bought, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll find the sign up, um, for the web, for the newsletter, but we are trying to figure out how to do a pop up so it's easily, more easily accessible. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, we had a pop up that was like right there, but, um, it was like accessibility, visibility, accessibility issues. So you just go to the bottom of our, our site. You could sign up. That's where you get updates about everything we're doing. We send a, maybe a couple newsletters a month, maybe two to three. Yeah. Whenever um, something like a podcast mm. or. Yeah. And so get enough information about our submission form, things like that. And, um, on our Instagram, we're always posting about what podcasts we've been on or like, sharing things relevant to what we're we're doing and our mission and more things will be ramping up in May to learn more about art and mind. And you can also go to our website and learn more about my mom's cancer journey. She mm-hmm. just did a talk with called voices of women. And that's like a 20 minute virtual conference. She did telling her story and showing the images of what she went through and how she went through that. Yeah. And overcame. It's all there. Beautiful. So we'll link to all of those things. And then my last question for you, is for the person listening now, if you want them to only get one thing out of this entire episode, what would you want it to be? What would you want them to remember? Yeah, um, my whole thing with all of this is I get ahead of life before life gets ahead of you. Be mm. proactive in your life. Really trust yourself, believe in yourself, and don't doubt when you really feel those some things telling you that something is wrong and you don't want to listen because of this, because of that. No, be proactive in your life. I think with me, something that consistently with, with all the things that we were talking about with the bullying and the cancer and, and isolation is, um, self advocacy. I know we, we briefly discussed the burnout that we experienced and how art had helped us work through that burnout. But sometimes the art wasn't there because we'd be so exhausted. I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to even utilize our art in writing because so much was happening. And so I spent a lot of time doing self-care and self-advocacy. And I know a lot of people here just never give up, but really we, we never gave up. And mm-hmm. you could hear from our story is, you know, my mom going through domestic violence, me with bullying, having to become homeschooled online, all those things. And there were times I wanted to give up and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm so done. I want to drop out of school, but I kept going because I was like, if I have so few advocates, my mom being my number one, I was like, you know what? I have, I have to believe in myself and I have to really take care of myself. And so I kept standing up for myself and saying, no, this is what I need. And if something wasn't a fit, I kept saying next and next and next over and over again. And I, I just never, never let someone tell me no. And because of that, that's where we're at. We created our own platform to be able to mm-hmm. advocate for ourselves and not let, any, let anyone tell us no anymore. Exactly. Don't let anybody tell you no. Exactly. Claire and Amarantha, that was such a lovely, both of your pieces were so perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Hold, please. I know that these end of podcast blurbs are generally really repetitive and only say, make sure you're subscribed. But this isn't like that. Today, I have a little habit challenge for you. Before you sit down to do your next work block, I encourage you to take five slow, deep breaths for five seconds on the inhale and five seconds on the exhale. Doing this helps us turn off our stress switch, which then regains access to our higher level thinking brain. 
which is something that we talk about in the free course that's included in the Productivity Partner app, which helps you design your pre-work ritual. And inside that Productivity Partner app, each day there's a mini habit challenge where I take 60 seconds to explain something like this that you can do in your day to become even more effective and impactful as a high achiever. You can try it for one week for free by going to thetruthaboutburnout.com. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go give it a try. 